0: Lord we just come before you and we ask that you to bless this time as we open your word and that you guide and lead and show us what you would have us to see and we just thank you for all that you've done for us in your son's name. Amen. amen. Psalm 96. There's so many of us missing. And we'll read verse 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth, Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For, for all the gods of, of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory; do His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O oh, worship the Lord in beauty of in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigns, and the world also shall be established, and it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he comes for He comes to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and his people with his truth. All right, we made it as far as verse 2 last week, so we're going to go to verse 3. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all the people. When I read these type of verses, like verse 3 starts, you know, I, I think about how the Jews lived a life where the Gentiles were not welcome in their, in their temple, were not welcome in their service. And God is over and over and over again telling them, go to all the nations, bring, bring him to the nations. And they kept pulling back. And, I, and I, when I read these things, I think about how sometimes churches do the same thing. We get inside our walls and we, we give good messages, we teach, and then we don't talk to people about Jesus. Almost like we're afraid that if we bring others in, somehow we're going to get polluted or ruined or whatever Whatever the reason is for not going out. I don't know what it is, but lots of churches do this. and This is why I always encourage people, we need to go out, share the gospel with others be able to bring others into, into the fellowship because the Jews did this, and over and over, God said, go out, go out and do. We, we read in Exodus and Leviticus when we were studying those books, the, the whole thing about God telling the people that all the people could come and do these sacrifices, and yet the t- when they built the temple, they had a court of the Gentiles that you couldn't, couldn't go beyond, And the women could go in closer than the Gentiles could. And the women didn't have any rights, okay? But they couldn't go, the women couldn't go all the way into where the men did to create sacrifices. And God never put those kind of restrictions on the people. His whole goal was to bring everybody into the temple, everybody into worship, and God is saying. Declare to all the nations. Declare to his wonders among the people. Why? For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. This is something we need to grab hold of. God is great and greatly to be praised. Uh, verse uh, 4 in chapter 16, uh, 96. So God is to be praised, greatly to be praised. How often do we praise God outside of church. This is something that is probably critical and I know the group that we have here does it more often than most people. This is our this is preaching to the choir at the moment, but you know because I've shared with you how many times when I was in the workforce that I would just have to get off for just a moment when I was running restaurants and just refocus on God and, and sing a quick quick hymn or say a quick prayer. God wants to be that way when we have trials when we have problems he is not to be our last resort too often he's the last resort and we hear things like well I've tried everything else I might as well pray and this is not the way God wants us to approach him and this is not the way we should be living we should be coming to God we should open our day in prayer we should be in the middle of our day in prayer we should be listening to songs of praise, singing our favorite songs of praise to Him once in a while. If we get in the habit of just praising God several times a day, then we'd be better off than not doing it. Rejoice evermore is what we're told in Thessalonians. All the time, rejoice. Is God the center of our life? When I meet with people, do I bring God up at some point during my conversations? Do people know that you're a Christian because of your language, because of what you, what you do or do not let them talk about? This is something that's important with us. How do we react to people? And you all know that if you talk with me any length of time, I'm going to talk about God, and it's not just because I'm a pastor. This is the way I have always been. Even when I was a manager in the restaurants and working in the computer field, when I was going to school to get my second degree... God was brought up frequently during the day because that is who's important to me. And this is something that's very important. Look at your life and say, what fills my life? If you look at what fills your life, you will find out what's important to you. The other way people will talk about it, look at your checkbook and say, what do I spend my money on? That will tell you what's important to you. And... These things, we need to analyze our life once in a while and just say, what is really important to me? Not what am I saying is important to me. Not what am I pretending is important to me. But what is important to me? And you'll find out very quickly what's important when you start talking with people. And if God never comes up in your conversations in, in the entire day, you need to look at it and say, how important is God to you? And I'm not going to judge anybody, but I'm saying if you don't talk about God at some point in your day, you need to kind of look at and say, what's been important to me? What have I talked about? God, is there an issue here? But it is really true that when we start talking with people, we're going to learn who's, what's important. This is, this is where we come into, do we know other Christians in our life? How do we know that they're Christians? Just, become the, just because they come to church? Or when we're talking to them, they tell us, you know what I read in the Bible today, or you know what God did for me yesterday, or I've got this question I was reading in the Bible, maybe you can help me out. You know, we, can, we talk to one another, we praise God, we sing, we sing songs to God, we just adore Him and confess our sins and just give Him adoration. And this is what this song is, He is worthy of praise because He is great. And he's to be greatly praised. And it says here he's to be feared above all gods. And this is because David's talking in a time with all these people. And he's saying, bring it to the other nations. Yeah. These nations have their gods. And he says, hey, our God is the one that's powerful. He's above them all. And then if you didn't understand that, in verse 5, he goes, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Okay? He says, just in case you didn't know this, uh, those are false gods, but our God... Created, Our God created the heavens and the earth. This is important for us. This is why we keep hammering these things. God is the creator. He is the one that started everything. And because he started everything and he created everything, he is the sovereign ruler and he can decide what he wants to do with things. And it's kind of bad to try to bring humans down to this idea. But if you make something, you have the right to destroy it or keep it or put it or prize it or throw it away. God has the same process with human beings because he created life. We are his. If he wants to give you bad things in your life just for the sake of giving you bad things, that's his right. Now, his character doesn't allow that to happen. When he brings bad things into our life, it is to teach or test. And when, when bad happens to us, and we talked about this just last week, when bad things happen to us, how do we look at them? Are we looking at the bad things that happen into our life as, well, God, you just are messing up my life again? Or are we looking at our life, and this is the first thing I always tell us, if bad things are in our life, the very first thing we do is say, am I sinning and do I deserve this and if I deserve it then I say thank you God for the punishment help me learn from it what do you want me to learn from this punishment because punishment always is designed to teach a lesson if it's punishment otherwise it's just brutal when when I had to discipline my kids it was to teach them a lesson that there were consequences for what they did and try to teach them not to do it again and that's God's purpose when He is punishing us, but most of the time it is not punishment when bad things come into our life. And if we can really understand it, it's a test to say, "Do I truly believe God?" And if I start looking at things that way, oh, what a difference it is when we, when things that appear to be bad, I'm going, "Okay, God, this is a lesson to see how well I trust you." Okay, I'm willing to trust you, and we we. I've shared with you when when Lynn and I went down, when we first met Ken Belfry, who spoke last Sunday, and he referred to our car breaking down, he was one of the many that were like, what are you going to do? How are you going to get home? How are you going to get your car home? I'm going, I don't know. I don't really care. You know, I've got 48 hours to figure this, to figure out how to get home for, and for God to tell me how we're going to get home. Okay. Now, have I always made the greatest decisions on those? No. But that one weekend, I was just... I'm here to be taught with whatever we're going to be taught, and God will have to worry about the car. And God worried about the car and got it all taken care of, and we got the car home and fixed. And, but what if I had sat there and gone, God, this is a terrible thing. I came here to, to, to learn and worship you, and all I did was worry about, well, how am I getting home? How is the car getting home? How am, I, how am I going to pay this car? If I had spent my whole weekend with those thoughts in my mind, I would have had a miserable weekend. I wouldn't have learned anything in the weekend. And this is where we come down to. What is our attitude when the hard things come? God is good. Okay? And this is a statement that we hear a lot. This is a statement. And the answer to that, he's good all the time. And all the time, God is good. We need to understand God is good all the time the time. Even when we think that He's being mean and horrible and terrible to us, God is good all the time. And this if you can really grab hold of that, those two statements, God is good all the time, God is good, you're gonna look at everything that happens to you in a very different way. Because when we think that, look at all this bad stuff that's happening to you, we go, My God is my protector. He doesn't allow anything that isn't for my good. And it's got to be good or it wouldn't come my way. And if we can come with that attitude, we're going to have a whole different attitude toward the bad things that happen to us because he is good. And here David is saying, God is worthy to be praised because he is God. He created. Verse 6, Verse 6, Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are His sanctuary. Honor and majesty. Honor, splendor. Everything that's about Him. Do we truly honor God? Do we consider Him ma- ma- uh, as majesty? You know, the, the glory, the beauty, the, the opulence, the everything about majesty. God is those. And then it says strength and beauty are his sanctuary where he dwells, strength and beauty. God has the strength to always be victorious. All right? And we want to really understand that sometimes we forget this. Nothing comes our way but it, what is common. Okay? And this is the most important thing. 1 Corinthians 10:13, there hath nothing overtaken us but such as is common to man. Satan likes to make us think, you're the only one that's ever gone through this stuff. Okay, And we all fall for it at some point in our life, or many points in our life, that somehow I'm the only one that's ever had to go through this stuff. And that brings shame. It brings the desire to hide. And we don't open up to others to have them say, well, you know, that happened to me you know, five years ago. Or I went through something very similar. And this is why we, I keep coming up with Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything we go through has happened to somebody and many somebodies. Probably many somebodies that you know have gone through whatever it is that you're going through. And so we want, but we want to pull back and hide. Adam and Eve we talked about this morning. They ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They hide from God. Because of the shame that they are feeling. And in their case, it was new. Nobody else had ever experienced it in their case. But the, they were the first one to go through everything that we're going through, even to, through today. But strength. God has the strength to deliver us. He is waiting for us to turn to him in the middle of all of our trials. When we fail and have that shame and honor, he, dishonor, he wants us to come to him and repent and ask for forgiveness. He gives us his strength. He clothes us with righteousness. He, he he, changes our clothing from the filthy rags into the righteousness of Christ that we wallowed around in the mud in, and he changes them and says, you're still my son, my daughter. I love the picture of the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, you know, dad, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my inheritance. And he gives it to him, and he squanders it, and he comes back to be, you know, to, to just say, I want to be your servant, because none of your servants are hungry, and... The father runs to him and accepts him as not as a servant, which would be what you would expect. Okay, when you can prove that prove to me that you deserve to be my son, I'll make you my son again. He runs out to him and says, "You've come back. You've come back with a repentant heart. I'm going to make you're still my son." And this is the power of what God does for us. he's strength and His Majesty. Verse seven says, "Given to the Lord, O you kindreds of the people, given to the Lord, glory." and strength. Give to the Lord glory. Uh, In Hebrew the word glory literally means to heap upon. Okay? God wants us to heap upon Him the praises of who He is because that's what glory means. It means to just throw it upon Him and give Him more and more. And we want to give Him His glory and it says to this, it's, it says, O you kindreds of the people. Again, David here is saying, all of you Gentiles praise God. This is the amazing thing. There were people in the Old Testament who really understood that this was God wanted to minister to all people, including all the Gentiles. Everybody who wasn't a Jew, God wanted to reach them even though they didn't want to reach out. And this we think about in Jonah. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and preach repentance so that they could be uh, repent and be forgiven. Now, Jonah knew that God, if they repented, would forgive them, but he did not want them forgiven for two reasons. Number one, he's a Jew and they're Gentiles. But even worse is they're not only Gentiles, they were the hated enemy of the Jews at that time. That would have been like for us from the '60s generation to have been told, "I want you to go preach to Russia or China." Okay, the hated enemy, the one that we didn't want to see survive, and go, God, God said, "I want you to go preach to Russia. They've got the button; they're ready to push, and you've got to go give them repentance." Now, I know that's a dated one, but this this audience is old enough to remember the days <laughs> when that happened, but we look at this and God is saying go to all nations tell tell the, all the people to give God glory and their strength God wants our strength he wants our time he wants our effort we are not just to coast through life and think that we're doing okay because i go to church every sunday I go to church Sunday night, Wednesday night, every day the church is open, I go to church, is, is not what God is looking for from us. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to church every time the church is open, but we've got to open our mouth outside the church. A lot of people think God has grandchildren and great grandchildren. You know, my grandpa, my grandpa was a pastor. Well, that doesn't do you a bit of good. No. This is where he's saying, give the glory God is due. And in verse 8 it says give to the Lord the glory do his name bring an offering and come into his courts give the Lord the glory do his name this is so important here in America especially we make idols out of just about anything how many sports you know kids have sports heroes that are terrible examples outside of the sport arena you don't even want them to know the person. You probably don't even want to know them for the sports, but you definitely don't want them to know them outside the sports arena, with their drinking and drugs and and chasing around of women. And these are the ones that they're lifting up as somebody important. Somebody in the business world might be idolizing some major tycoon out there because and saying that's how I want to get. I want I want to be just like them because they're they're rich and powerful. And you look at it and go. I don't want them to be this person, they're they're a womanizer, an abuser of people, they don't pay wages to people, and you want to idolize that person, and here God is saying, give the Lord the glory, do his name, and again, we've talked about name so many times, name is everything about their reputation, and what stands behind that name, it's not just, you know, yeah, the little tetragram, YH, it's not saying, I've got to give him his name. It's not the name of Jesus. You know? I, I hear so many Christians who will go, in the name of Jesus, at the end of their prayers, as if just tacking his name on there is the magic words to get the answer. No, it is everything that his name represents. And we don't quite understand that as much in this generation as we did in the past because I can remember when I was young, my dad always was pushing on us, you're a wells, and that means things, you know, and and he'd list the things that it meant to him. Pretty much grandfathers, and maybe our parents for this generation would say, this is your name, and this is what it means to be this name. Now, some people had names that they didn't want to have attached to them. This is is your name, and this means you're a lazy person that nobody's going to hire, or this is your name, and, and it means that we see this in Jesus' is in or Jesus in this case, David is telling us, the glory due God's name. Do we really understand the glory that's due his name? He's the creator. He's the master of everything. He is the Lord and sovereign. And unfortunately, again, for us Americans, we don't really understand what that idea of sovereign means. You know, we look at our government and say, we don't like our government, we're replacing you in two, four, or six years depending on which which group we want to get rid of, but we just look at it and say, "Uh, you don't have any power, I don't like you, we're going to vote, you know, I'm going to work at voting you out of office. God is not somebody who can be voted out of office. Okay, if he becomes unpopular and the masses decide, we don't like God, we're going to vote him out of it, we're going to vote him out of being the creator and master of the universe, it doesn't matter, he's not going to care. Okay, he is the king and master of the universe, regardless of what anybody says, and this is what he's saying, give him the glory, do his name, and all the reputation of his name, because he is just going to do what he wants to do, because he is God, and he is the almighty ruler of the universe. And this is why we have to be so careful, like saying he is somebody who deserves it. And that's why we go back to God is good all the time. God is good. And if we keep that in mind, we're going to remember he is good. Whatever he chooses to do is because he is good. God will never act outside of his character. God is truth. He cannot lie. So he will not lie. Not because, not even really that he can't, but it is outside of his character, so he will not. God is love and he will love us. This is something we need to understand. God is almighty. He will never be defeated. And why Satan ever thinks that he might even have a chance of defeating him, I don't know. But most of it is that he wants to hurt God, and that's why he's trying to do as much damage. But we look at the revelation, and we see him trying to win. And he keeps losing. And God is all-powerful. He cannot lose. All right. We want to keep this in mind. Satan is a created being. He is in subjection to God, and always will be in subjection to God and cannot defeat the creator of the universe because ultimately all God has to do is unthink him and he's out of the picture anyway. Satan is trying to do whatever he's trying to do and God is using, letting him test us. At the end he's gonna send him to hell for eternity for his rebellion against God before the creation of the world then he'll be punished and, and all, the men that, all the humans that he deceived will go to hell with him. Again, and he when he gets to hell, he is not the king of hell. He is a prisoner of hell, not the master and ruler of hell. So we want to keep that keep that as a, a thought in the back of our minds. He's not trying to build a kingdom opposite of God. He's just trying to hurt God. But he says, "Bring an offering. Come into His courts." God is encouraging us to come into His presence. And if you really think about this, this is an amazing statement that he makes. God is saying, come, come before me. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple's veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place was ripped from top to bottom. So God ripped it. It didn't rip bottom to top by man pulling on it. God split that and said, now you have access to the mercy seat. The seat of propitiation is the other name for it, and we've talked about that. Propitiation means that the payment has been satisfied. God says, you can come into my presence because sin's payment has been paid. Just as we talked about this morning, when, when the s- sacrifice was made to clothe Adam and Eve, the payment was the forecast of Jesus, but the blood covered their sins so they could come back before God not in the same way that they had before. Not the physical walking with him in the cool of every evening. And you, we think about that. I, uh, I really think about that, how nice that would have been to be able to just walk with God. You know, imagine what you could learn from God, walking with him and just talking to him as a friend. But you know, we have the same opportunities, but we can't walk with him physically, but we can come to him in the spirit and say, God, I just, you know, I can want to talk with you, God. I just want to be here with you. just want to talk. I I, I don't even have requests at the moment. And it's not wrong to give requests, but you know, do you ever go to God and just say, God, I love you so much. I Thank you you for what you've done for me. Thank you for giving me peace through the situations that I'm going through. Giving me the strength to get through these things. This is why on our prayer list we have that little abbreviation, Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and the last one is supplication. First, I adore God. I, give him my, I just say, God, I'm here to just tell you how much I love you. you. know, God, you're so special. And I've always said it probably should be cats. Confession should be come first. <laughs> but the acronym has been alone for a lot longer, a <laughs> lot longer than I've come up with it. But I really do think confession should be the first thing. God, I, I confess my sins. This is what I have and then we adore him we give him his adoration and then we get thankful thankfulness to him god thank you for doing all the things you're doing for me that you provide my finances you provide my, my, my clothing you provide my peace this is the greatest place that we have god puts us through things and the question is are we gonna rest in him and have peace or? are we going to worry about things and get depressed and, and suffer and struggle and strive because I've got to deal with all these problems. God is wanting to deal with our problems. And we go to God and say, thank you, God, and we give them to Him. And we've all probably seen the skid, and we've talked about it, where the guy comes, usually in the, it's a skid in the church, a guy comes down the aisle and he's got bags all over his, All over him. He's carrying about thirty, you know, trying to carry about thirty bags. He's dragging a few down with them. Walks up to the cross and he takes them all off, puts them at the cross. And depending on the point they want to make, he either walks away, leaving them like he's supposed to. But usually the way it is, he starts walking away, and then he goes back and he grabs a bag, starts walking away, goes back and grabs another bag, you know. And by the time he gets done on that particular one, he's dragging almost every bag back with him or her. We do this so often with God. God, here's all my problems. And then we go, God, uh, I think I might be able to handle this one and this one and, and this one. And before long, we're walking away with all the problems that we just put on Him. And we're told in Peter, cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. If we can just learn to pass all of our cares on Him and live in peace. Jesus says, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. He carries, he carries the burdens. He carries the strength. And what I've been told is when they yoked the animals together, they had the animal that was strong, and they put the most of the yoke on that animal. And the other one is kind of just being walking alongside. And every once in a while, when it really got tight, they would push up against the yoke and, and drive the yoke. But the, the one that was been around the longest, the one that was the strongest, had the heavy part of the yoke. That's the part that Jesus takes. He just straps us in and kind of carries us along. And you know what? He never finds a problem strong enough so bad that we have to push on that yoke because he can handle everything. And it's again the same picture. Cast all your cares on him and let him deal with them. This is where we learn peace. If we just turn to him and we give him praise, we give him glory, we give him honor. When we're getting to that place, we're in a ready to have a pity party, give him some praise. You know, Listen to some praise albums. Turn the radio on to the Christian channel and listen to the teacher. Listen to the preaching. Uh, listen to some songs. Uh, I have a thumb drive in my car. When nothing else is on the radio, I plug my thumb drive in and it's got all my Christian songs on the thumb drive. So... I'm always making sure that I have something in there that is good. In the old days, I would have said I had cassette discs in the car, and I do have a cassette disc. I have a cassette in my car, but I no longer have the cassette player in my car. <laughs> i have probably got to take the cassette out. But I also have some CDs in the car with Christian music, just in case. <laughs> you know, but what do we do when the pressure's on? Do we sit there and we struggle and we try to figure out how to get through it? Or do we turn to God and say, God, I want your help. I need your help. And God lifts it off. And we put our, we put our mind and we pray. We listen to music. We sing some songs. You know, This is something that's important. If you can't do anything else, sing your favorite, favorite hymn or, or a chorus. And just focus your mind on God and, and let God lift whatever's going on in your life out. Verse 9, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Fear Him, all the earth. Worship the Lord in the beauty, the adornment of His sacredness, His holiness. Worship God. David was good about this. We were talking this morning that if David was alive today, he would probably have been diagnosed as a manic depressant. He had very high highs and very low lows. And if he lived in our day, they would have... They would have medicated him to the point where he would have never made any of these songs. And he's bipolar. You know, he might have been bipolar. You know, who knows? I mean, you know, he would have been medicated in our day and age and would have never written these songs because he wouldn't have had to trust in God. And I'm not trying to say the medications are all bad. Some of them may or may not be good. I, but I'm just saying in our day and age, he would have been <laughs> medicated into non-thinking thinking point. He's saying, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Worship, bow down before God. Make sure that he is the one that you're looking at in the beauty of his holiness. Because God is saying, come to him. And you hear my recurring theme. This is something I have learned over the years. Come to God. Come to God. When things get really tough, go to God. Pray, sing, sing listen to somebody else get into the Bible whatever it takes to focus your mind on God do it and, I, and the reason I love the prayer the, the songs and everything because you can listen to the songs while you do other things when you try to try to read the Bible when you're trying to do other things you can't do it unless you're listening unless you're listening to it on tape uh, but when you play praise music you pray you play the the preacher in the background and you're just listening to somebody else speak you can be able to do other things. And this is important for us. Do we focus on God? When we feel that pressure, change your focus back to God. This will take you through many, many trials. When you're facing a, tre- a temptation to do something wrong and it's almost got you, sing a chorus. You know, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You know. And you go, you focus your mind on God, you know how fast that temptation's going to go away? Pretty darn quick. Well, what I do a lot of times is that when I talk to what would Jesus do? Well, we, you know what I'm thinking. So it's yeah. a really easy way, because sometimes I forget the songs, you know, so. But this is, this is great. You could, be, you know, there's different songs. I have all kinds of different songs that pop into my mind. You know, because I've been doing courses so many years that I've got all these courses, but I've also got hymns that will pop into my mind, and I'll sing hymns at times, mm-hmm. and just you know, really having a trouble, you know, God and kind of being tested, you know, I don't think anything's going right. Count your blessings, name them one by one. You know, count your blessings, see what God has done. You know, and you and you start singing that song, and you're not going to be thinking about all the bad stuff that's going on. But but we see that the, even the power of this as we think about it. We sing that song, and all of a sudden, I'm not worried about all the things that aren't blessings. I'm going, what are my blessings? Jesus, name above all names. You know, you know, very beautiful song that you can be singing. Uh, yeah, song, I, song we used to sing with when we were kids. Cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Nothing to make you doubt. Sure, right. Remember, Jesus never fails. So why not trust Him and shout? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. Yeah. The one I so, but, but we understand what I'm saying when we're in a hard place. If we just bring out some songs, and they don't have to be sung at full voice. You could even do it in a crowd, you know, and just sing it very softly between you and God. And be focused onto God and be able to bring him in, into your situation. Verse 10 says, Say among the heathen that the Lord reigns, that the world also shall be established, and it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Amongst God, that the world is that God is in reigning. He establishes the world. Do you realize how great a statement this is when David's talking about the heathen? Because every time there was an earthquake, whenever anything happened, a storm, a a hurricane, a tornado, they're immediately thinking, this is the judgment of the gods, and and the world's falling apart. David's saying, God has established this world. This world is not going to end until God says that it will end. And we know that that's going to be after the thousand-year reign of, of Jesus because of the book of Revelation. So we know that the world has at least a year seven years to go. Right. because we have a tribulation period after He takes the church away of seven years, and we have a thousand-year reign. This world has at least a thousand years, seven, one thousand seven years (laughs) left. And that's if the rapture happened today, at this moment. So it's that much plus. We don't have to worry about the world falling apart. Now, the human governments may fall apart, our countries may fall apart, our system of laws may fall apart. Okay. Those things may all fall apart, but this world is going to last for a period of time because God says it's going to last, and he does not lie. He's not going to change. And it says that God will judge the people righteously. How many times have you witnessed to somebody, and, as, and it's always a kind of a fake thing, but what about all those you know, people in Africa that've never heard the gospel, or South America that've never heard the gospel, God will deal righteously with them. Now, what that means, I don't know, but God will deal righteously with them, uh, and it's going to be okay. And then, it's ver- then David switches: "Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad; let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof." I love this: "Let the heavens rejoice." Who's in the heavens? The angels. Those who have already passed away are up there as well. The heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Why is the earth going to be glad? Because God reigns. He's in charge. I don't have to worry about anything going on around me being outside of what God's allowing because He reigns. He's in charge. He's sovereign. Nothing is going to happen that God does not allow nothing is going to happen that somehow God's going to say oh how did that happen? Or, well, whoops I didn't know that was going to happen. That's never going to come out of God's mouth. Even when Adam and Eve sinned it wasn't oh no how did this happen he knew that it was going to happen he'd already arranged for the answer before he created the heavens and the earth and he immediately goes okay my son's coming my son's coming to redeem you it's going to happen and it was already in plan. It was not something that surprised God. This should give us great comfort. Even when I sin and I fail greatly, God still says, I know that was gonna happen and I can redeem what you've done. Even though you totally messed up, it looks like you destroyed the entire, you destroyed destroyed the entire church with what you just did. God still can step in and redeem, because he has a plan. He has a plan for it. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Let all the trees of the wood rejoice. David yeah, David's quite poetic in this. He's, a, he's the poet. He sees the trees rejoicing. He talks about the rocks rejoicing. Yeah, I, I'm sure he was looking at the trees and you know, wind, high wind blowing the trees around. and looked like they were waving their hands at the at God and and you know so he's looking at see there there's God re- there, the trees are rejoicing and he's he says let all rejoice before God and we don't know all of what goes on here but you know over time Paul even carries on this mentality of the earth bringing praise to God we think about this when man sinned all the earth was cursed the plants were cursed, the thorns were produced the, the ground produced thorns and thistles and all these wonderful things that we don't like when we can't walk barefoot on the ground because of the of all the because of all the bad weeds and the thorns and the thistles and all of that's out there and the animals we, re, we became wild and untamed to the human beings and after the flood they became meat eaters and and there was this viciousness amongst all of the all of the creation, all of this because of man's sin. The effect that man had because man was created to be the ruler of this world. We were created to be the ruler under God of this world and gave it away to Satan through the fall. And Satan became the God of this world. And when he met Jesus on the after the 40 days of fasting, and he he told Jesus, if you will bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. Do you realize what kind of a test that was? Number one, Jesus didn't say, you don't have the authority to give me, because he did have the authority to offer him that. But you know, the real thing that he was offering to him was not just that, he was giving him a shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross to get ruler of all this world. I'll just give it to you if you worship me. Because he knew Jesus was going to get it anyway. But to do it God, the Father's way, he had to go to the cross and die and be victorious over death. If he had sinned, he would not have lived eternally. He would have, been, he would have been subject to death just as any other person would have been. So Satan knew that Jesus was going to die on the cross? Oh, yes. Yes. Everything about the past, everything in the Old Testament was him trying to keep Jesus from being born. And that's why the Jews have always been his target for those years, because if he could destroy the Jews before the Messiah was born, then because God said it would come from Abraham's seed, through Isaac, through, through David, if he could destroy that seed, then he made God a liar and could say the, the Messiah could not be born. And since then, it's just to hurt his people and try to prevent revelation from happening. So, but Satan knows this plan. He knows that God was going to be the Redeemer, uh, maybe he didn't know exactly he had to go to the cross until that particular time of Roman, Roman. But he understood the scriptures. He saw the scriptures. He saw the if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto them. He saw the the serpent, the bronze serpent that was lifted up that they looked at, and it was lifted up on a on a cross. He knew. He uh, he understood. He understood when they talked about the cross being hung on a tree that you know, when he got closer to Rome and saw the crucifixions, I think he fully understood. And then when Jesus was born, he definitely understood. And this is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan tried to kill Jesus in the garden. He he put so much pressure on him that he that he was uh, bleeding, sweat, sweat was bleeding, his uh, capillaries had burst, and he was bleeding drops of sweat. Satan was trying to kill him in the garden to keep him from going to the cross to redeem mankind and it didn't work it didn't work it didn't happen and we see God saying rejoice Let everything rejoice because this world has been cursed this world is looking to the time of the at least the millennial kingdom when God will restore almost everything back to completion but sin will still be there but they're definitely looking forward to the day of total destruction and recreation and we don't even know what a perfect world would look like. A world without, without thorns and thistles, without poisonous plants, without poisonous animals, without animals that wanna, wanna try to kill you. And this is the picture that we will be able to lay down with the lion and the lamb, we'll lay down together. The child will play at the asp's nest and not be worried about being bit, okay? All of the stuff that we have to look forward to in the long run, the perfect world, the perfect kingdom that will be restored. That will be restored at the end days because that is what it was supposed to be and the earth is waiting for it. The earthquakes we have, the terrible weather that we have, the destructive force of nature will be calmed and and returned back to the way it's supposed to be. Animals that will be vegetarian again and be friendly and will be with us. And God is saying the world's waiting to be rejoicing. The world is waiting with expectation to be back to what it belongs. It's not just humans that, are, that have been re- responsible. It's the whole of the earth. Man will still have a sin nature so there will be evil desires, but Jesus will rule with an iron scepter And I believe that sin will not be able to occur, even though man wants it to occur. Because God is the only one that can stop things before it happens. Now, of course, they will have thought of it. So they have committed sin, but they will not be able to. I do not believe that they will be actively able to uh, act on their sin. They're going to have that thought. And whether it's us going there to stop it or angels, there'll be a knock on the door saying, no, you're not going to do what you just thought that's my belief. I do not believe that there will be outward actions of sin during that time because Jesus is going to rule with an iron rod which then allows when Satan comes along and offers them an opportunity to rebel against God and the thousand years is over and that people will respond there will be thousands if not millions of people who will respond because that's what they've wanted to do anyway and they've been stopped. Now I could be wrong on that but that is my belief and that really explains why Satan will draw such a large Army to his side, Uh, and it could be that they're just going to be when they act up, they get punished. But we're dealing with God ruling, so God can stop things at the thought level, not not at the action level. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be hardcore on that one. I mean, that's just how I've always looked at it. If somebody wants to believe it's the other way around, I don't. It doesn't bother me in the least uh, because we don't have enough evidence one way or the other. But the thousand-year reign. It's hard sometimes to figure out where the thousand-year reign is being talked about and the new heaven and earth are being talked about because God kind of interchanges those things you know, through many places. Will we be meat or eaters or vegetarians? We're not going to care because we're going to have our glorified bodies and we won't have to eat anyway, at least not, a, not the physical food. So what, the, what those who are physically alive at that point are eating I don't know, because there's not a lot about that. It just says that he'll rule with an iron rod during that period of time. So I don't know what we're going to do. And that may not be the time when you can lie down with the lion and the lamb. But I do believe he's going to probably get rid of the, that type of activity as well, because he's ruling and he's ruling in righteousness and rest. Good question. I never even thought about that, which, what we would eat. Verse 13, before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth, and he shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. When Jesus rules, it is with righteousness and in truth. And you know, when somebody who knows all things is the one that's ruling, it's pretty easy to not make a mistake. Try to get out of it. Try to get out of it saying, well, that's not what I I intended to do. And and God knows. Uh, I kind of know that that was your thought. You really wanted that to happen. Guilty. His judgments will be totally, totally different judgments. There will be... No room for trying to get out of it. No room for uh, trying to pretend that you were wanting some other, other answers, some other activity. He'll look at you and say, well, I know what you were thinking. Uh, I know what you were thinking. You can't get out of it. This is the danger that we're at in our world today, where they're, where they're giving you extended punishment for your crimes because they're somehow understanding what your intent was. The whole idea of hate speech. This was hate speech, so we're gonna we're gonna penalize you. You murdered somebody, and you did it because it was out of hate. So we're gonna double the penalty. And it's how do you know what that person was thinking or not thinking? You really don't. It's just it was against a class of people that are protected, so therefore it was hate speech, and that is not valid logic. But God is the only one who can judge. From your heart's intent because He knows our heart's intent. He actually knows our heart's intent when we don't know our heart's intent. We can lie to ourselves real well and say that I didn't really mean it to be that way, but God says, I know that you meant it that way. This is something that's very important. God is going to judge in righteousness and in truth. And only He really truly understands and knows truth. He gives us truth. If we live on His truth, we know what it is If we go beyond what the word says we don't know for sure whether we're speaking truth or not it is what he teaches in the word and this is why there are groups out there that say you need special knowledge let me get let me give you the special knowledge beyond what the Bible says beyond what what God says I'll tell you what God told me in my drunken state while I was was dreaming in my bed and God spoke these words to my head and they give you these real special meanings. And this is one of the draws, in the, especially in the 60s, for the drug culture. That if you zoned out on drugs, you would be able to get close to God. And your mind would be empty and God could talk to you. Well, you had a God talking to you maybe. You had the God of this world talking to you with his demons. But it wasn't God talking to you when you were in that state. And this is the problem in the in a, in a whole place where... Eastern mysticism that says empty your brain by, going, by thinking about nothing. Well, if you empty your brain thinking about nothing, it's going to be filled, but not by the power you want it to be filled with. If you get into the drug and alcohol culture and get your brain emptied out, it's going to be filled, but not by God. If you get into hypnosis and I really I've seen great things done with hypnosis but to me it's a very dangerous thing is to open to have your mind emptied and open to somebody else you're also opening it up to the spiritual world and the demonic world as well this is why when you get into this whole meditation stuff as, as defined by Eastern mysticism empty your mind and get these wonderful thoughts from God well yeah you're gonna get wonderful thoughts from the wrong God because you're emptying your mind and opening it up to the demonic world. This is why when God says meditate, he, what's he telling us to meditate on? His word. Meditate on his word. You read a verse and you think about that verse and think about that verse and think about that verse. And, that verse. and then God starts talking to you because you're thinking about what his words in the first place. And this is why it's important. We need to be very careful what we do because sometimes it sounds so good If I just empty my mind so that God can speak to me and my mind won't be in the way, it doesn't work. It sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful, but it's not biblical. It's not God's way of doing things. We want to be careful with all of these things. God has a way of doing things. And this is why I say we get into his word. We look at his word. We learn his word so that when we hear the truth, we know that it's true. And when we hear the lies, we know that they're lies because they don't match up to the word. And that's why it's important. We focus on God. God is good and he is good all the time. And when we start thinking that bad things are happening to us, we've got to change our way of thinking. Because, yes, it may seem bad from the world's point of view, but the question is, what is God trying to do and teach us? Is he punishing me? That's our first question. Is he punishing me? And then it could be bad, yes. But the purpose is to make sure that we don't do the bad again. Okay, because that's what true punishment does. It gives you pain so that you do not repeat the bad activity again. And this is why I tell parents, you know, I've had I've seen parents come around with their 8-year-old, 9-year-old kid and go, how do I get my kid under control? And I go, you're about six years too late. Almost eight two years too late at that point. You should have started at the beginning training them the way they were, because by the time my kids were 8, 9, 10, I really didn't have to discipline them too much. And all it took was some speaking to them for the most part, and they would listen. And yes, there were times when they had to have privileges taken away, but they also knew that the punishment was going to be there if they misbehaved. But usually all we had to do is look at them, speak to them, because they had already been disciplined. I see these people who can't discipline a 2- and 3-year-old, and I'm going, what are you going to do when that kid gets to be a teenager? You can't handle a two-year-old when you can actually pick them up? And you're going to let that, t- that two-year-old run you rampant? What are you going to do when they're a teenager and they're actually defiant? But the world is telling them, don't, don't discipline them, don't hurt them, because if you do that, you're really not loving them. Well, I'm sorry, it's the other way around. The ones who don't discipline their kids don't love their kids. Don't love their kids because God says, those I love, I discipline. Those that are mine, I discipline. Why? Because He wants us to grow and learn to behave and know that when we misbehave, there's punishment. And punishment hurts. And God will do the pain to make sure we understand that we have been disobedient. But most of the time He's trying to teach us. When we look at the bad things that's happening, He's trying to teach us patience. He's trying to teach us trust. He's trying to teach us something, we need to look and go. Okay, God, what is it you want me to learn from this activity? I'm just going to turn and, and hide in you, God. You're my defense. You're my protector. I don't understand this. It's, it looks like to me that it's going to cost me a lot of money I don't have. But you know, I don't know how I'm going to get my car from Phoenix to to Kingman. It's going to cost money. And God says, I'll work that out for you. And it worked out. We got a friend that drove down there and didn't even take money from us to pay for the gas. Came down with the trailer and drove the car back up, back up to the house. And we dropped it off and then had to wait until we could get it repaired. But it was back at the house. And it didn't cost us anything. Well, everybody out there is like, how are you going to get it home? It's going to cost this. You know, God will have it worked out. And if we just trust him, he will work out all the issues. He will turn things around and say, this is what I've got for you. Here's your answer. There's a line in the cross and the switchblade where David Wilkerson is talking to Nicky Cruz. and Nicky Cruz is the head of the worst gang in New York. And he says that God loves you. And he goes, if you tell me that one more time, I'm going to cut you into 150 pieces. As he pulls out a switchblade and David looks at him and says, and every piece will say, I love you. And, and Nicky just walked away. It's like, this guy is absolutely nuts. I don't understand him. But God does these things and he still does them today. I read a story a long time ago about a missionary that had to go from the, through the jungles of Central America or South America, and they were going, no, you can't go, that's, that's the area controlled by the, the gangs and the, and, the, and, the, and the warriors, and he goes, well, I've got to go, God's told me I've got to go, and he drove through with no problem, and eventually one of the leaders of the, of the groups came up to him and went, where did you hire that army from? He goes, what army? He goes, You we were surrounded by these really big guys with guns and and he goes, we were afraid to attack you. He goes, I was alone. He goes, Oh no, you had a whole army around you. You know, God still does the same things that he's always done. And that brings us back to the Elisha Eli, uh, you know Elijah, excuse me, you know, saying, Open my servant Elisha, open my servant's eyes, as they were surrounded by an army. And he opened his servant's eyes and the army was surrounded by the angels. God still does these things today this is why we can trust in him even when it doesn't look right doesn't look good things look bad we trust in God because what's the worst thing that's gonna to happen to us we will go to heaven uh, I say worst? that's the best yeah <laughs> you know, you know that we need to look at this you know what we might think is the worst are gonna kill us is actually the best thing that can happen to us we get to go home yeah, that's crazy. you know we get to leave this world and go home to God and we worry about what might happen to us. I love the answer of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they answered the king and it says, what God can deliver you from me? Or "Or will your God deliver you from me? And I go, well, we don't know whether he will or won't. He can, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we will serve the Lord. They were ready to go home if they burnt up in the fire, and they were also ready to be an example if they were thrown in the fire and lived. And that meant even if they got hurt in the fire and lived, they were ready to be the example. So what is our attitude toward God when he sends testing our way? Do we trust him? Do we really understand and know that he has a plan for our life and that he's in control? This is very important for us. And one last quote is from Annie's favorite book from The Hiding Place when when, uh, they were thrown into the the uh, barracks and it had lice in it and they're going and Betsy told turned to her and said we need to be thankful for God she goes I can't be thankful for these lice well they found a reason to be thankful the guards wouldn't go into the barracks so they could have bible studies and everything in the barracks because the guards wouldn't even go into the barracks (laughs) okay now we look at that and we say what if they hadn't been thankful for that and looked for what was good about it They would have never seen it we need to be looking at what is good even about the worst things that seem to be going on in our life what is good about this what is it that god is trying to do or teach and we work on those things and go forward let's close in prayer lord we thank you for this day we thank you for how much you love us lord we thank you that you are in control you are sovereign you are worthy of our praise you are worthy of glory You have our best interest in mind at all times and that you work all things for good. Help us as we go out today and just let us worship you and share you with others. Give us boldness and help us to understand that all things are from you and that you have a reason for it. In your son's precious name, amen.